Hello and welcome to the KBL weekly podcast where we feature a selection from the major land-related news stories in South Africa which appear on our website www.knowledgebase.land. I'm Rick Desache, Director of Research at Pushlisani NPC and curator of the website. Today we report on issues making the news in week 48 from Monday the 25th of November to Sunday the 1st of December 2019. We begin with a focus on expropriation and the work of the Ad Hoc Committee, which is tasked with amending the Constitution. Lamez Omaji, writing in FIN24, reports on a briefing made by the Deputy Director-General of the Department of Trade and Industry to the Ad Hoc Committee. The DDG based his submission on the Department's experience with bilateral investment treaties. He noted how a foreign investor would have legal recourse in the terms of treaties to challenge the government's decision to expropriate property. He noted how international treaties can trump, for choice of word, South African national law. The DDG reported on the case in which government had failed to adequately protect the property of a Swiss investor, which had resulted in international arbitrators ordering government to compensate the investor to the value of 5 million euros. Apparently, even when government terminates an agreement, so-called survival clauses within the agreement continue to protect the investment for a period of time. This could be as long as 20 years. So more to think about when trying to amend the constitution. Moving on to a focus on farm workers, President Cyril Ramaphosa has not been having a very good week. On the 27th of November, IOL reported that the President might soon himself be summoned in a Labour court case, following what seems to be his strategic misstep in personally retrenching 22 workers on his Mtabanyoni farm in Budplas, Mpumalanga, just a month before Christmas. Then in the same week, Ramaphosa signed into law the deeply discriminatory Traditional and Khoisan Leadership Bill, along with the Traditional Leadership and Government's Framework Amendment Act, which we cover in more detail in the section on Traditional Leadership later in this podcast. Focusing on labour tenants now, Clive Ndoe writes an article in The Witness on the 25th of November entitled Land Projects Fail. This tracks the history of some 57 farms bought in the Middleras-Moy River area in settlement of labour tenant claims some 10 years ago. According to the article, 
Just three of these farms remain in production, although the Rural Development and Land Reform National spokesperson Putima Belebele was quoted as denying that the projects had collapsed. A number of explanations are put forward in the article as to why there has been such a spectacular collapse. These range from allegations of corruption and the diversion of funds intended for the projects into personal bank accounts, the lack of provision of training and business knowledge, and delays in the transfer of approved grant finance. The article cites sociologist Dr Mzingai Kaba, whose PhD focused on the developmental impacts of restitution in the Eastern Cape at McLeantown. Kaba said government was often too focused on land acquisition to the exclusion of land reform implementation and what happens afterwards. The article returns us to long-standing questions about the socio-economic benefits of land reform as currently conceptualised and implemented, to which South Africans urgently need to find practical answers. Coming now to land governance and administration. Last week we covered initial responses to the unanticipated postponement of the landmark case brought by CASAC, the Rural Women's Movement and several rural residents of KwaZulu-Natal, which was against the Ingonyama Trust. Several more articles followed this week, providing analysis of the implications of the postponement of this case. Kevin Bloom from the Our Burning Planet team at the Daily Maverick, provides an in-depth background as to why the case was lodged in the first place. He tells the story of Zakele Nkwankwa, whose permission to occupy a certificate surreptitiously metamorphosed into a lease with an annual rental payment due to the Ingonyama Trust. As Bloom puts it, at stake, aside from the collection of hundreds of millions in allegedly unlawful rent, is the apparent breach of Section 25.6 of the Constitution, which was written to protect people or communities whose land tenure had become legally insecure as a result of past racially discriminatory laws or practices. Being forced to pay for the right to reside on the land that had been in uninterrupted occupation for many decades has no place in living customary law. Professor Tandabantu Nklapo, a renowned expert in this field, has cautioned in a supporting affidavit to the Kasak case that there are fundamental differences between customary and common law ownership. In customary law, land rights are best understood as a system of complementary interests held simultaneously. Nklapo explains, Customary land relations were created by and mirror the bonds and relations between people. Access to land is a function of membership at different levels of rural society, for example, membership of the family, lineage, village or wider community. Professor Nklapo 
examines how colonial and then apartheid legislators, administrators and courts superimposed to paradigms derived from common law constructs of exclusive ownership and individual rights on top of the nuanced customary law systems of relative and overlapping rights and entitlements. He notes that by imposing lease agreements, the Ingonyama Trust had downgraded the lessee's customary ownership of land to that of a tenant, whose continued occupation on the land is conditional on the payment of rent. But the story doesn't end here. Bloom posits an interesting connection between the postponement of the Cassack case and another legal battle over the deeply contested issue of coal mining in the former KwaZulu Bantustan. In 2018, local people and activists mounted a legal challenge to mining at Tendele on the grounds that no environmental authorization, municipal planning approval, or permits to shift ancestral graves had been issued. This matter went to court in August 2018, only to be dismissed and the costs of the case awarded against the activists who brought the action. The backstory to this case is set out in an insightful article by Bridget Pitt, which appeared on the 15th of November 2019, also in the Daily Maverick. Bloom explains that the Supreme Court of Appeal is due to hear an appeal against the judgment that was handed down in the Peter Maritzburg High Court in February 2020. Bloom argues that the outcome of the now postponed Cassack case could have had a bearing on this matter and the delay ultimately serves the interests of the mining houses and their allies in the Ingonyama Trust. Senande Boy, a lead land researcher at Lark, observes how this case is symptomatic of the continuing failure of the state to pass the law as required by the constitution to ensure the security of tenure of those living in the former Bantistan areas. She notes that a vacuum has arisen as the Minister and Parliament have failed to make use of the powers available to secure people's land rights through the Constitution. Protection of Informal Land Rights Act or provincial laws on permission to occupy. In this vacuum, it was easy for the Trust to unilaterally exploit an opportunity to adapt and implement a policy to convert occupational rights and customary ownership to leases with onerous terms and with the trust as the lessor. While all the discussions been going on around the Cassack case, the legal terrain nationally has shifted sharply this week as President Ramaphosa signed the TKLB into law. Mark Haywood, writing in Maverick Citizen, provides background on how and why the President has opted to sign away rural people's rights. The TKLB has long been the focus of a concerted Stop the Bantistan Bills campaign, which has been led by the Alliance for Rural Democracy. Constance Mokhade, the ARD National Coordinator, speaks about how despite their best efforts and being appointed to sit on a government reference group, all of our suggestions were ignored. Andisiwe Makinana, writing in Times Live, 
notes that land activists were expecting that the President would refer the bill back to Parliament after both the Motlante High-Level Panel and the Presidential Advisory Panel had warned that the provisions it contained were in breach of fundamental constitutional rights. But it seems that this was not to be, as another move has just been made in the long game of South African political chess. Unimpressed by the President's manoeuvres, ANC veteran Mavuso Msimang has put it succinctly, We have not just sold out people in the rural areas, we have adopted what the apartheid government used to do. Finally, turning to urban land. The news in Cape Town this week has been dominated by the Tafelberg court case, originally initiated in 2017 to overturn the designation of a high-value seapoint property as surplus and to use the land to construct social housing in a bid to address the legacy of spatial apartheid in the city. As Madison Yacha reports, the court case seeks to set a precedent on what can be done with inner-city state-owned land. However, countering the arguments put by the applicants, the legal team representing the city of Cape Town have argued that the Reclaim the City and Ndifuna Ukwazi are in effect asking the province to not dispense so much of the housing budget on the homeless but rather on social housing for people who already have jobs and accommodation. The city's counter-argument was, do we accommodate 100 people in the CBD or 10,000 elsewhere? But perhaps things are not quite as simple as the city would have us believe. In an interesting twist, the National Department of Human Settlements also launched an application against the Western Cape government which is being heard together with Reclaim the City's application. The advocate representing the National Department argued that the province had failed to coordinate with the National Government on the sale of the Tafelberg site. As Sunay Payne put it later in the week, social housing in Seapoint is becoming a serious political hot potato. So that's all from our overview of land news in week 48. We're not able to cover every story that was published during the week, so be sure to browse the news categories on www.knowledgebase.land and catch up with other stories making the news. You can also follow us on Twitter at KnowledgeBaseL, where we tweet on land issues daily. You'll be able to listen to a new episode in our podcast series, which should be out on Monday the 9th of December and featuring news from week 49.